0: Well, we are uh, we're in our series, we're part two in our series, the book of James, the book of James, and what we've been doing, we're going to be going through the book of James throughout this whole month, we're going chapter by chapter by chapter, and last week we went through book of James part one, which was chapter one, and it was amazing, if you missed it, that's okay, go back, you can go back and listen to it online, you can go back, watch it on YouTube, and, and later on after the message, we're going to have to, a couple of people going to go through the water to be baptized, it's amazing, it's awesome. Looking forward to that. The getting—it's not for me to relax after the service. If you're wondering why we've got a spa pool here, uh, actually, that's not a bad idea. But anyway, so we go through James, James chapter one, and today it is James two, James two. Now, as a senior pastor, as a pastor, my greatest ministry, the, the greatest need, the greatest area that I need to minister to, is my family, is my wife, and it's my children. They are the greatest need, the greatest ministry, and, and as a pastor. Um, I have seen too many, I've heard too many horror stories with pastors and their families. Because it's really, really hard. As a pastor, um, if you're not careful, it's 24-7. And if you've got a phone, your phone is 24-7. And you you just got to drop everything and you go. Right? You're about to go out on on a dinner date with your wife. Someone calls and, Pastor, you need to come over. Um, they're they're going to leave me. She's going to leave me and go, sorry, honey, I've got to go and deal with this marriage. Okay. And here's the thing. They've been dealing with this issue for years, and now I've just created a new issue with my own wife on my own day. And it can happen. And, and I've heard too many stories. And I've seen, and I've seen, um, I've seen children or pastors who walked away from the faith. The reason why they walked away from the faith is because they've seen how people have treated their parents. Well, this is how people of God treat my parents. Then why do I want anything part of it? And I've, and I've seen that. I've heard too many stories. I've seen marriages of pastors fall apart after ministry, where ministry was the only thing that held them together. And, it, and it's tragedy. So for me as a pastor, my greatest, my first ministry is to my children and to my wife, number one. And it's really hard because sometimes it is that need, because there's, there's this thing that we have, and for whatever reason, supposedly, you know, it's told, oh, you know, as a pastor, you've got to put God first, aka the, the, the needs of the church ahead of the needs of my family. And that's very careful. And here's here's the thing you need to understand. In 10 years from now, I may not be your senior pastor. You may not be here. But one thing I can't guarantee is that my family will still be there. One thing for you, wherever you you are in life, your work may not be there, but your family will be there. So let me ask you this question. What is priority for you? What is number one in your life right now? What do you put ahead of everything else? Because I've never heard anybody say on their deathbed, I wish I could have spent more time in the office. I wish I could have filled out one more report. I wish I, could have, I, I wish I could have worked long hours. No one says that on their deathbed. What I hear is, I wish I could have spent more time with my children. I wish I could have invested more time in my marriage. I wish I could The things that really matter. And as we go into James chapter 2, these are the kind of things that James, chapter, and James wants to bring out in James chapter 2. So if you've got your Bibles, tune with me to James chapter 2, verse 1. And let's begin to go through this amazing book. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing gold ring and fine clothes. And a poor man in a filthy old clothes with ripped jeans also comes in. (laughs) If you show special attention—this is why I'm wearing ripped jeans, just for an illustration— if you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes, you think that when you go buy ripped jeans, you should get it at a lower cost. I'm not sure why they're a lot more expensive than, than jeans with no holes in them. I still can't work that out anyway. Let's carry on. Suppose a man goes into a meeting wearing gold rings and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? See, the kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom. You may have heard this. It's an upside-down kingdom, meaning that God acts in ways that are opposite to how the world acts. The world is always assessing people, right? Bringing them down a peg. In New Zealand, we have what's called the tall poppy syndrome. Oh, no, no, I think you need to come down. We need to chop people down a little bit more. We're always assessing people bringing them down and putting them in pecking orders. And we do this subconsciously, don't we? Right? You guys, oh, no, not me. But how often do we, we judge people upon what we see or how they're dressed, what color their skin is, what ethnicity they're in. And God wants His church to reflect His generous universal love and how it behaves. This is what James is talking about. And then we go to verse 5. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promises those who love him? James, James doesn't mean that the rich is at disadvantage. He doesn't mean that. If you're rich, oh, what, what are you trying to say? If we're rich, we're at a disadvantage in believing. He's not saying that at all. But this is true. The more you need God, the more you see God. The less you need God, the less you see Him. If you are down to half a loaf of bread, half a bottle of milk, and your petrol light says E for enough, and your paycheck is not for another couple of days, your reliance on God goes to another level. You just have to go on a mission trip, a short mission trip where you go to a third world country where, where water out of tap is a luxury. Their faith puts our faith to shame. Let us not be people who are well off, and let's be honest, if we live in this country, we're well off. You just have to look at the world. Turn on your TVs. We're well off. We've got running water. We've got flushing toilets. We've got a roof overhead. But let us not be people where we, where we, where we say, well, actually, I don't need God, because I have what I need. Let us be people that, I, I, wanna, I need God more and more. When you need God more and more, you begin to see God in everything you do, and everything you do. Verse 6, but you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? And in, 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 in James' time, there were are, are, there are those, those of influence that were like, this, this Jesus movement, it's, it's upsetting the, the pecking order. This Jesus movement, every, everyone's on the same level. And they're like, and, and they see this as an attack, and they're coming against it. And, and it's very true to today, where back in those days, it was only the rich that had, they had access to the best lawyers, and so therefore they got away with a lot, and they got a lot of things. And if you're poor, tough luck. This is what it was like in the in, the, in that day. In fact, it's coming very similar to today. Then he goes on, verse eight, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, everyone say royal law, royal law. Okay, anyway, that's, that's good enough. That's all right. <laughs> if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. Now this, love your neighbor as yourself, this was, a, was one of the main thrusts of Jesus' ministry, his main teaching. And James, he was really concerned because what was happening in the earliest church, the earliest church, the first churches, what was happening was there were people uh, who, 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 who were living, they were hearing the word of God but their lives were no different when they left their place. In fact, it's very similar to today. The issues that James was facing, we face today. That they were, hearers, they were hearers of the word, but not doers of the word. And when we talked about this last week, if you looked in James chapter 1. People come along here, oh, amen, pastor. Uh, raise, held up, hi emoji. You know, it was a great message. It was really good. But then when they walked out of church, their life looked no different to anyone else who, who, followed, uh, who, who didn't follow Jesus. And this was his concern, and this is what he's writing here in James. And what was also really, this whole thing, this royal law. The early church made it quite clear that when it says this royal law, it, it saw Jesus as king, it saw Jesus as the Messiah, thus the royal law. And he goes on, verse 9. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one is guilty, of breaking all of it. James is not saying that, that you've got to obey the, obey the law to be saved. He's not saying that at all. He, what he's doing, he's reflecting on the belief of the Old Testament law, that you must keep it in its entirety. Therefore, if you've got to keep the Old Testament in its the entirety, then why are you only keeping half of the royal law? And I'm going to be getting into this royal law as we go a bit further into this, these passages. Verse 11. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder, If you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. The law that gives freedom. This is the royal law. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. The, The Old Testament law kept you bound. Old Testament law keeps you bound, but the royal law sets you free. And we looked at this last week in chapter one. The royal law sets you free. Failure to show mercy means failure to understand the royal law to understand God's mercy. Verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such faith save them? Can such faith save them? because genuine, genuine faith? affects the believer's behavior. And this is the whole thing. They're just hearers of the word, but not doers. Because genuine faith affects believers' behavior. Faith that does not affect behavior is shallow. Did you get that? Faith that does not affect behavior is shallow faith. They're just, I'm just a hearer of the word, but I'm not a doer. I, I, I turn up on Sunday, but my life looks no different to anyone else's. My speech is no different to anyone else's. I'm just a hearer, not a doer. But James is saying, you need to be not just hearers, but doers of the word. This is the ministry of Jesus, right? Jesus talks about the wise man that built his house upon the rock, the foolish man who's built his house upon the sand. He said, this is what it's like when you've just become a hearer and not a doer. You build your house upon the sand. And Then he goes on in verse 15. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? And James is saying, look, if someone comes up to you and, and, you, and they're in need, don't be praying for them. Let me pray for you, brother. Let me pray for your sister. Well, Lord, I just pray, may you supply all their needs when in your cupboard are the means to supply their needs. Right? Don't just be hearers. Be doers. Doers of the word. Doers of the word. Then he goes on, verse 17, in the same way, Faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. What James is not saying here. James is not saying, he's not saying you are saved by works. He's not saying that whatsoever. He's not saying you've got to have, a, you've got to have enough brownie points to make your way into heaven. He's not saying he's not saying, oh, you've got to have enough merit. There's a merit-based system. If you have enough merit, you can get into he's not saying that, and nor does he mean that at all. In fact, scripture is quite clear. It's absolutely clear that that our works do not merit or earn God's grace or love. Did you hear that? Scripture is quite clear that our works do not merit or earn God's grace and love. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 to 10 says this. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. You can't earn your way into heaven. There's no merit system there. It is a gift of God, not by works, not by your own efforts, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do what? To do good works, right? Good works is a byproduct of faith. Good works don't lead to salvation, but salvation leads to good works. Works and faith are not rivals. They're not to be pitted against each other, right? You are saved by faith alone, meaning there's nothing that you can do to lose your salvation because it was never based upon your merit. It was never based upon your works because works doesn't earn or keep your salvation. But it shows it. It shows it. It's about believing loyalty. However, you can turn your back on salvation. You can turn your back on, you know how? How do you turn your back on salvation? By stop believing in Him. It's not based upon works, but it's based upon faith. If you stop believing in Jesus, but now you're worshiping or you're following or or something else has now become your God or God's, or you've become a devil worshipper. Let, let me be clear here. There are no devil worshippers in heaven. There are no devil worshippers in heaven. There are no any other kind of gods worshippers in heaven. Whatever gods you... There are no... Tangaro is not in heaven. Or any, Buddha is not in heaven. There's no, none of those worship in heaven. Let's be absolutely clear. You can't use Jesus as some kind of incantation. Because I said those magic words all those years ago. I said the salvation prayer. I lifted up my hands. I moved, I came forward. You, you can't just use that as some kind of incantation, but now I'll stop believing in him. Jesus is not some kind of incantation. Works doesn't earn or keep your salvation, but it shows it. If I say that I love my wife, right? I love my wife, but I don't show her love. I don't, I don't speak kind words to her. In fact, I don't see her. I don't spend any time with her. In fact, I spend all my time with all the other ladies. Right? <laughs> this is just an example, okay? Just a bit. Let me just go. It's an example. All right? If I spend all my time, but I say, and then someone goes, hey, your wife. It goes, and I say, look, I love my wife. I love my wife. They're going to say, you fool. How can you love your wife? Your actions don't show it. It doesn't show that you love her, right? What shows? So the, the, it's faith. You're saved by faith. But works shows your faith, right? What I do for my wife. You know, just doing, all, doing nice things to my wife. I can't earn my wife's love. It doesn't at all. But it certainly shows that I love her. It certainly does. The point James is making is works doesn't eliminate faith. Works does not supersede faith. But works validates faith. Works validates faith. Verse 19. I just love what James says in verse 19. You believe there is one God? Good. Well well done. Thumbs up. Here we go. Let's put it on emoji. Even the demons believe that and they shudder. See, as a devout Jew, when when, when a devout Jew heard... Hear James say these words, you believe in one God, then one will go straight to the Shema. The Shema is the most important prayer in Judaism. The Shema, a devout Jew would pray this prayer three times a day. Daniel was praying this prayer three times. If you know this, the, the story of Daniel praying and then he gets taken to the lines, then he was praying the Shema. When Jesus will go away praying, he will go away praying the Shema. It was the most important prayer in Judaism. In fact, Jews. Today, if you're a devout Jew, you're still praying the Shema. And Shema is found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 to 5. And we read it, we, we declared it over the children this morning. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. So it's very interesting when the teacher of the law comes to Jesus and says, says which is the most important commandment? I love how he reacts. Because, because every Jew knew the most important command was the Shema. And this is what Jesus says in Mark chapter 12, verse 28 to 31. He says, One of the teachers of the law came and heard, about, heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked them in true fairy tale manner, of all the old, of the old commandments, of all the commandments, which is the fairest of them all. Right? And at this point, you expect Jesus to um, to." Recite the Shema. This is what you expect. If you're a Jew, it's easy. It's the Shema. He's going to say the Shema. Then he goes on, verse 29. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So far, so good. Okay, this guy knows his word. Tick. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. And then Jesus adds, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. At which point? Those who are are hearing Jesus go, what do you mean, the second is this? What what are you you talking about, Jesus? You can't add to the Shema. What what do you mean? What did he just say, the second is this? And he carries on. And Jesus grabs a text from your least favorite book in the Bible, the book of Leviticus, chapter 19, verse 18. Love your neighbor as yourself. These two texts have never been joined together. And for the very first time, these texts have been joined together. And then after Jesus has has done what he just did and he just laid it out there, he goes on and he says this, there is no commandment greater than these. Jesus replaces the Shema with this and it becomes the royal law for his followers and the thrust of Jesus' teaching to become a person who loves God And loves people. Now we can see what what James is painting. We can see now the story that he's he's bringing forward. There were people, there were followers of Jesus who were putting God first but neglecting the need that was around them. They're putting God first but neglecting others and they're using, oh, I'm, I'm putting God first. That's what's really important to me, is about putting Him first. And when James says, look, that's not enough. You can't say you believe in God. Guess what? The demons believe that. Right? Well, you're in good company. Good on you. You're in good company. The demons believe that as well. Because it's both. Your devotion to God is measured by what you do for people. And he goes on to verse 20 You foolish pers- person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. It's together. You're saved by faith, but but work shows your faith. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. He wasn't just a hearer, but he was a doer of the word. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute, this interesting person to speak about faith, Rahab, she was a pagan prostitute, but she came to know him. And it was her believing loyalty that now brings her into this text. Rahab, this this pagan prostitute who comes to know know Yahweh as her Lord and Savior, will go on to become the great-grandmother of King David and in the line of Jesus himself. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Again, James is not saying that people must perform works in order for God to accept them. He's not saying that at all. It's about believing loyalty. You are put right by God, by faith, and it's you working it out. Come on. And it shows your faith. It shows your faith just like Abraham, just like Rahab. So, what does it mean for us? What does this mean for you? It means people matter. People matter, regardless if they are rich, regardless if they're poor, regardless if they're Pakia, Māori, Asian, Pacifica. People matter. See, when you look around your community, when you look around your neighborhood. When you look around your city, what breaks your heart? What breaks? What need do you see? What's that one thing that you can't get off your mind? What's that one thing? See, the way to stop change is to convince yourself there's nothing you can do. Or who am I? I'm just one person. Who, who am I? I, I? I've got no influence. Who am I? I'm just, I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm not qualified. I'm just... I'm, I'm, I'm just not good enough. God, send someone else. Well, that sounds familiar. In our Bibles, there's a man by the name of Moses who said the same thing. God, can you send someone else? Because I've disqualified myself. Let me tell you something. God has not disqualified you. How often have you disqualified yourself? Because you thought you're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're not old enough. You're too young. You're too old. Whatever. God has never disqualified you. This is true. A person that points the blame doesn't change anything. A person that points the blame doesn't change anything. So instead of blaming someone or someone else, why don't we put our energies in making a difference? Because this is what happens. This is what happens. We start to blame people if we don't. We start blaming other. If we don't pick up the charge, and this is still on our heart, we start blaming other people. Oh, you know what? It's Auntie Jacinda's fault, right? It's the Labour Party's fault. That ungodly party. I heard it after the elections. It's their fault. It's the government's fault. It's it's the council's fault. Oh, it's it's the school's fault. The school should be doing something about it. Oh, here's one. It's the church's fault. Why isn't the church doing something And there's one that always gets me, well, it doesn't get me without a chuckle. It's the pastor's fault. The pastor should be doing something about that. Right? A person that points the blame doesn't change anything. God is calling you. And here's the thing. When you put God first, you put people first. Right? And when you put people first, you put God first. Did you get that? If you want to put God first, put people first. Because when you put people first, you put God first. What, what am I talking about here? It's connected. You can't separate it. It's not separated. You can't separate the two. Love God, love people. This is the this is this is the royal law. You can't separate it. And this is what James is talking about. People are separate. They're going back to the Shema. I oh, just love God and neglecting all the need that was around them, neglecting their families. Oh, you know what? I'm going to put God first. Like, sorry, I can't. I would, but James, no, no, no. You've forgotten the golden law. It's about, it's, you can't separate the two. It's about loving God and loving people. It's about loving God and loving people. Do you know how your devotion to God is measured? Your devotion to God is measured by what you do for people. By loving God and loving people. See, I'm not asking you to quit your job and become an activist. That's not what I'm saying. Please don't get me wrong. Not everyone can change the world. I'm going to be honest here. Not everyone in this room, you can't change the world. But this is true. You can change someone's world. You can change someone's world. You can change someone's world in your workplace. You can change someone's world in uh, in your place of education, in your circle of friends. You can change someone's world. Don't disqualify yourself because God is sending you to love God and to love people. You know, a few years back, uh, my son, he um, made the Gwyn Shield. And the Gwyn Shield is a, uh, it's a Waikato rep tournament, right? And it's, it's, it's made of players throughout the, uh, the Waikato. And he made the Panthers. And it's, it's age group, and it's, uh, it's based upon um, weight and size, which means his team, everyone was the same size, same shape. This is what they look like. This is what it was based upon. And it was great. It was this one-week tournament. But the problem was the final was on a Sunday. The final was on a Sunday. And, and you know what? I could think, oh, well, that's if they make the final. So. But you know what? I, I decided to make a, make a decision that I'm going to have Sunday off. I'm going to have Sunday off to go watch my son play the final. I could have said to my son, I could have said to him, hey, look, sorry, son, you, you know you know, uh, I'm the senior pastor of a church. I've got to put God first. I've got You know, my son... My, my son may have understood. And you know, and this is, here's the thing. Ten years ago, this is what people would say. This is what people would say, that what I should be saying. Come on, you need to teach your son. You need to teach your son to put God first. It's not about playing rugby. It's not about all these kids stuff. Here's the thing. My son doesn't look at me and see a senior pastor. He doesn't see a senior pastor. He doesn't see a pastor at all. You know what he sees? He sees a dad. He sees a dad if his dad is there or not. See, so what am I putting first? right. Oh, I've, got to, I've got to put God's work first, a.k.a. the needs of the church ahead of the needs of my family. What are you putting first ahead of your family? What are you putting first? Let us not use God as a reason. We can't separate the two. We're better together. And you know what? We took that Sunday off, me and my wife, Portal. She wasn't singing. And even our older siblings were there watching him, cheering him up on the sideline. You know, even when I was there, I felt guilty. Did you know that? I felt guilty. I was, I was there and I felt like, oh man, if people knew that I was here. I, and I was just kept coming over me. And, I, and, it's, and you know, that doesn't come from God. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And for many of us, we feel guilt coming upon us. You felt felt guilt? Where does that come from? I'm not good enough for God. God's not good enough for me. And we run away. We run away from our, our, our families. We run away from where God has called us to be. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He sets you free. Your devotion to God is measured by what you do for people. Come on, let us pray.